Welcome to Marx's Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net, where you can donate and subscribe to our paper online and help support us in the struggle for socialism. I hope you'll be very patient with me, because uh, this subject is quite a lot, a big subject, covering the life and ideas of Frederick Engels. And, uh, well, we'll be able to touch on a lot of the aspects, but certainly we'll not be able to do it, do it justice, in my opinion. And hopefully it will just uh, whet the appetite for you to delve into Engels' ideas more, more thoroughly. Uh, in particular, I would say, uh, anti-Durin which he wrote of the first major works, he wrote earlier works, the preface, uh, sorry, the uh, conditions of the English working class, 1844, but anti-Turing is considered to be a masterpiece, really, in developing the ideas or bringing together the ideas of Marxism in a more popular form, um, and therefore should be read by everybody. Without exception. If you think it's a bit difficult, then you start with Socialism, Utopia and Scientific, because that was the pamphlet extracted from that book uh, and became extremely popular in the, in the movement, in the, in the workers' movement. Now, um, you know, it's often said that, uh, you know, our movement stands on the, on the shoulders of, of, of giants, you know, theoretical giants, Marx, Engels, Lenin, Trotsky. Of course, um, Engels' name was always associated, synonymous with Marx's name ever since the writing of the Communist Manifesto. Uh, of course, Marx uh, uh, is an absolute genius. He's a giant of giants, you want to put it that way. And therefore, you could say that Engels' contribution uh, has perhaps never been fully appreciated. I would say even by Engels himself, who was extremely modest and always deferred to, to Marx and saw it as his particular job, not only to, to, to assist and to uh, help Marx, that was his fundamental responsibility, because they saw everything as a joint venture. This development of a communist movement, of a Marxist movement, they saw in a common way which meant sacrifices from both men in, in different aspects. Um, you could say that, uh, well, uh, perhaps I can let Trotsky sp speak uh, at this point. He wrote a diary in exile in 1935. Um, and these weren't for publication, really, but it's just his own thoughts he, he scribbled down. It gives you an idea of an appreciation of a man uh, Engels was uh, uh, politically, uh, theoretically, uh, very, very astute. Uh, Statue-wise, he was a tall man. He was over six foot. And uh, he was also a very fit man. He liked to engage in uh, sports and activities. Um, very human person, if you like. Very human. Very down to earth. Enjoyed life, actually. Something you can't blame him for. It's a good thing to do. 
but nevertheless fighting for the, the ideals of, of, of communism. And this man, just like uh, Marx, never came from the working class. He came from a very privileged background. Very privileged. And yet he turned his, his back on that background. All of it. And put himself on the point of the working class and the interests of the working class. Obviously that shows enormous uh, self-sacrifice. Uh, give up everything, if you like. He could have been a very successful, very, very successful capitalist. Very rich man. He threw it all away. He didn't want that. He wasn't interested in that filth, he said. I'm interested in the working class and the emancipation of the working class. And therefore, although not coming from the working class, became one of the greatest leaders of the working class. And some that we, we look up to uh, for inspiration, not only politically, but I think even the way he, he, he conducted himself. Anyway, we'll go into that in a bit more detail. I just want to quote here um, a passage from Trotsky, uh, Trotsky's diaries. He said that Engels is undoubtedly one of the finest, best integrated and noblest personalities in the gallery of great men. To recreate his, per his image would be a gratifying task. It is also an historical duty. He went on to say he intended to write a, a biography of Marx and Engels, but that was destroyed in a fire. The, the notes were destroyed in a fire in Principal, and uh, he didn't have the time to complete this particular uh, work that he wanted to do. He said that Christianity created the figure of Christ to humanize the elusive Lord of hosts and bring him nearer to mortal men. Alongside the Olympian marks, Engels is more humane, more human, in inverted commas, more approachable. How well they complement one another. Or, rather, how consciously Engels endeavours to complement Marx. All his life, or rather, all his life, he used himself up in this task. He regards it as his mission and finds in it great gratification. And this, without a shadow of self-sacrifice, always himself, always full of life, always superior to the environment of his age, with immense intellectual interests, with a true fire of genius always blazing in the forge of his thought. Against the background of their everyday lives, Engels gains tremendously in stature by comparison with Marx. Though, of course, Marx's stature is not in, in the least diminished by this. He goes on to relate a conversation he had with, with Lenin, pointing out these things, and Lenin agreed with this uh, estimation of Engels. He said, above all, reading the correspondence of Marx and Engels, which you should again try and dip into, because it gives a bit of an insight into their this, this relationship, this close bond, practically a daily correspondence 
I've got the for one, for one, I've got the collected works of, of Marx and Engels. It's 50 volumes. Must admit, I haven't read them all yet. I'll get round to it. But I've read a, a lot of the volumes, particularly dealing with the correspondence. And again, it brings to life this intellectual and personal bond between the two men. And you can say, uh, yes, he was very, very modest in his approach uh, and sacrificed to make sure that Marx had the time in order to explore the economics and, and, and other aspects and develop them to the full. And, uh, and therefore we must, I think, uh, regard as Trotsky does, you know, that Engels is up there with, with, uh, with the greats because of this. Now, if you look at their, their, their background, uh, I mean, you can even compare the both men. We can't do it at this point because we haven't got enough time. But uh, Marx himself actually came from, yes, another a privileged background, a bourgeois background, uh, but whose family actually was very liberal. They were very easygoing. That was in complete contrast to Frederick Engels. Engels, again, came from a very bourgeois family. Their roots can be traced back to the 16th century and the development of the textile in industry in uh, Wuppertal, in uh, Barman, he was born, on the 28th of November, uh, 1920, uh, sorry, 1820. And um, the area was quite industrialized, um, particularly for Germany, but the family built their fortunes on the textile industry, basically. And uh, his father had a very successful business, he was very orthodox in his approach. He was a very religious man. And therefore you could see the kind of environment that Engels, he was the eighth child, eldest child of the family, but brought up in a very strict way. And uh, nevertheless, as you, as you perhaps are aware, you know, young people can be rebellious, particularly to their family surroundings. That's uh, not an unusual thing. And clearly uh, Engels was part of this rebelliousness at that time. And um, although had a strict upbringing, and it was very intelligent, and after, after he finished high school, uh, he didn't go to university at that stage. His father wanted him to enter business and, to, and uh, learn the ways of business in order to give him a correct moral understanding of the world. And that would help to shape his rebellious uh, nature a bit more. And therefore, he should go into to, to, uh, to business, which he, he did. He got a job in the factory, in the local, local factory. But uh, as I said, Wuppertal was very uh, industrialized compared to the rest of Germany. And he was able to observe. What I think uh, uh, Engels was, was uh, a keen obse uh, observer of life. And certainly uh, looked at uh, the surroundings, the workers, the workers' districts, how the workers lived how they drank, how they, whatever they did. And uh, certainly that had an impact upon him. And even when he was engaged in business, he saw the way workers were behaving and so on and so forth. So he was quite a keen uh, observer. And in fact, you could say, uh, as a teenager, late, in his late teens, he became a writer, actually. He was, like, he was keen to write things, observing and writing, at the same time as he employed by business. Um, in Germany, they, they had to go to have military service. And Engels uh, went into military service. He, went, he, he left home um, from Uppertal. He went to Berlin, the capital. 
and uh, uh, was involved fully in his military service. In fact, he developed an interest in military affairs, which he had from a, throughout his entire life. He had a very great interest about military tactics, strategy, military history. And, of course, uh, his nickname was uh, The General. Uh, affectionately, as Marx used to call him the general, he even used to sign his, uh, his letters the general. So it was a bit of a nickname that stuck. Um, but after his military service, um, this was a time when, in uh, 1841, he's 21 years of age. Um, there's a big ferment in Germany before these years, particularly with the Hegelian movement. Uh, Hegel was a Greek philosopher who was affected deeply by the French Revolution. I know we had a discussion earlier on about consciousness. Well, in periods of, big, of revolution, you also have a big change in people's consciousness. And it's also a, a line in which you have people stretched, means stretch, and new ideas are created. And clearly, Hegel's ideas and philosophy were revolutionary for the time. Above all, he, <laughs> he managed to rescue these ideas from ancient Greece, from Heraclitus in particular, of dialectics. But, uh, change doesn't take place in a straight line. It takes place in a series of contradictions, of constant change, profound change. And um, uh, this was a kind of revolutionary idea at the time. Even Darwin never had that. He thought evolution was very, very straightforward, lineal. Um, of course, uh, Hegel was an idealist. Uh, he believed in this great idea, he believed that material things were a reflection of a great idea. This was wrong, but nevertheless, within Hegel's philosophy was a truth, that is, a dialectical motion and development. And uh, they were in, uh, in Germany at this time, it, it was a, uh, an autocracy, it wasn't, there was no democracy, therefore there's no uh, political parties as we know them, legal political parties, and therefore many young people who were radicalised by these ideas, um, took, it took the form of this interest and debate about the ideas, took the form of new movements called the Young Hegelians and the Young Germans. One was a, a movement in philosophy, the other was a movement in literature. It was a reflection of, of the, the ferment, particularly amongst the intellectuals, amongst the petty bourgeois layers, who were, were, were discontented and were looking for other ideas at the time. So this was the intellectual uh, ferment which Engels uh, participated in. He became a, a follower of, of uh, Hegel and joined the, 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 the young Hegelians. But that wasn't the, the end of it. It was the beginning of, of this story, really. Of course, at this time also, you, you have big events internationally. In France in 1830, you had a revolution in France, a political revolution, shook the foundations of Europe. Other events were taking place in Europe, insurrections and so on. Uh, but above all, in England and in Britain, uh, which is the main capitalist country of the world, with its empire and so on, big development of an empire, you had the development of Chartism, the first working class political movement in the world. And Chartism grew to mass proportions in Britain and linked in with other ideas, which were utopian socialist ideas, this is uh, Saint-Simon, Fourier, uh, Proudhon, but above all, uh, Robert Owen in Britain uh, affected uh, layers of, 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 of the work, young working class which are developing. Trade unions were illegal, by the way. They had the Combination Acts in Britain 
1799. Uh, so they were illegal revolutionary bodies, actually, the trade unions when they started out. And no mention about. Um, but nevertheless, this, this was a ferment. And uh, there were those in Germany actually looked to Britain as a possible revolutionary uh, 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 country. Just as revolution was on the continent, Britain could have a revolution. And therefore, there was a, a lot of interest in, in what was going on. Um, when, when Engels finished his uh, military service, after a year, um, he uh, basically uh, didn't want to take up um, a position back in, the, in, in his fam family firm in Hubertal. Uh, he wanted to go further afield. And he, he jumped at the opportunity when his father uh, thought he would be better tutored if he went to England uh, because his father had a, a joint business with a man called Ermin. So Ermin and Engels at a, at a factory in Manchester. And uh, 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 basically, Frederick Engels could go there and have an apprenticeship in, in management, really, as you're talking about. And he jumped at it with both, uh, you know, both hands. He grasped onto it. Why? Because he desperately wanted to get to England to actually participate in this new movement that was developing of Chartism. And in 1842, uh, when Engels arrived in Manchester, that was the time of the uh, neo-general strike uh, in the north of England called the Plug Plot Riots. Of course, every general strike is called a riot. Uh, and they were a bit of a riot that did take place. They used to go around knocking the plugs from the uh, furnaces, so, you know, the, the iron ore furnaces. They knocked the plugs as, well, as a means of uh, bringing the factory to a, to a, to a close, to a, to a standstill. And this was like revolutionary times. So Engels is, is caught up in this. And, he, and at back home, he was not interested in just in ideas, but politics became into, into the frame. And radical politics, and met different individuals, uh, called Bauer, for instance, and uh, another man called uh, uh, Hess, who had radical and revolutionary ideas, which further advanced his ideas. Feuerbach came into it, you know, of a materialist view, also was, came into the mix, if you like. Uh, in, in developing his ideas. And by the time he uh, arrived, I think it was in December of, 42, of 1842, uh, Engels was drawing communist conclusions from his experience. Uh, Marx also, independently of this, was drawing similar conclusions, just, in the, just uh, beginning to. Uh, of course, when Engels arrived uh, and, and took up his, his position in uh, Manchester, he didn't. He said, well, I, I could have gone on partying and all, you know, if you like, enjoying myself. No, I went to the workers' districts. I went to see how the workers lived, how they acted, and so on and so forth. He observed them. On the basis of this observation, he wrote a book, which he completed not only in England, but also back in, in, in uh, Germany. That is, The Conditions of the Working Class in England, 1844, which is a classic, really. Showed the desperate position of the working class in England at that time. And he drew revolutionary conclusions about the coming British Revolution at the time, Communist Revolution in Britain. He hoped on the basis of the Chartist movement taking form. Because in the Chartist movement, it split or divided between the moral force Chartist and the physical force Chartist, the left wing, if you like, <coughs> the revolutionary wing, which had staged an uprising in Newport in South Wales in uh, 1839. Uh, he was defeated, but that shows the enormous ferment in Britain at that time, incredible. Um, and those, this is the conditions in which, which uh, Engels began to, to view the world, 
view, uh, the working class in particular, I would say. Um, when he left uh, uh, Cologne to come to uh, Britain, he did actually pop into the offices of the uh, paper there, of the uh, Rheinisch uh, Zeitung, which was uh, been edited by Marx. Uh, the, uh, the, 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 the meeting wasn't that uh, friendly, actually, because Marx thought he was, a, he was a supporting uh, this other guy, uh, Bauer, who was a bit of a, which he clashed with. So there was a bit of a, bit of a strange meeting at first. But when, Mar- when Engels went back to uh, Cologne and met with uh, uh, Marx and give him the experiences he had in Manchester, they kind of hit it off straight away. They drew all the conclusions, this is 1844, 1845, and uh, began to put things down in writing. Uh, Engels went back to his hometown, didn't last long there. You know, he went there to get, get money off his old man, of course, you know, his father and his mother had to give him some money, couldn't survive otherwise. And, uh, of course, his father put down the law. So he said, uh, it's like the, you know, the dog's life, he said, in, uh, in uh, Rubertal. And he, do- he decided to leave and uh, go to uh, Brussels to meet and live alongside Marx in a na- as a neighbour. And they could uh, develop these ideas that they had. And they produced a book which never got printed because the German ideology. Uh, it was left for the mice to eat, as uh, I think uh, Marx put it. But it, has, it is in print now. It's where they, they, really, they really develop these ideas of historical materialism, the ideas of, 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 of dialectical materialism. In other words, they fuse dialectics with, with a materialist view and then explain history in that way. That's the basis of the Communist Manifesto, anyway. It's historical materialism and also an understanding about capitalism. Because Engels also wrote an essay about political economy, which Marx was very taken with, and said he had to master economics. It was a very weak subject for Marx. Marx understood a lot of philosophy and development politics, but not much on economics. And that, was, that encouraged him in that particular way. But uh, in these years, they wondered, well, how the hell can we put these ideas into practice? And they came up with the idea of organizing the, the uh, Communist Corresponding Committee. Uh, you know, two of them. And uh, they hope to gather a few people around them, they see, in Brussels, of all places. Um, but their ideas had a certain echo abroad, particularly in the, in the German uh, uh, community in London. Uh, those who came on the walk yesterday would have gone, by, gone down to uh, Great Wilmill Street and saw the, uh, the building where uh, the uh, famous conference took place, where Marx and Engels were asked to join, drop the Communist Manifesto. But by that time... They'd been approached by people in London to fuse their organisation. They are two people with an organisation called the League of the Just. And they said, yeah, we'll do it because this is a means of getting out of this, you know, putting our ideas forward here. This is a great platform for us. And uh, they said, yeah, we'll participate and we'll even participate in the draw of the programme. Engels came to London in the, in the, in the summer and uh, intervened. Marx couldn't go because he didn't have any money. And... Uh, Engels, nevertheless, convinced everybody to change the name from the League of the Just to the Communist League and abandon uh, you know, all, all men and brothers to you know, uh, work as the world unite. And uh, this is the beginning of the transformation. The Second Congress takes place on the 30th of November, uh, 1847. Marx attends, Engels attends in London, and he bowls a, a, a 10-day conference, and they win over everybody. And they'd asked to uh, drop the manifesto, which is then finished, although they didn't finish on time and they were rebuked by the uh, general council of the, of the uh, uh, 
uh, Communist League. They run the democratic centralism, and they were bollocked, basically, for not uh, producing it on time. So they had to leave, um, I think they were obviously bevying it up in, uh, in Brussels uh, over Christmas, and there was a bit of a delay there. So they managed to catch up. Uh, you may laugh, that's probably what really happened. But nevertheless, um, what we have here then is the beginning of the communist movement. Uh, the only thing, this takes place at the time of the European Revolution, 1848-1849, where we'll see these countries, there are revolutions against the old order, the old feudalistic uh, uh, embryos left over, are challenged by the young, the middle classes and so on and so forth. The working class takes part. Um, uh, they immediately move the headquarters of the Communist League to Paris. Marx and Engels goes to Paris. Uh, Engels goes back to Germany to, to fight in the, in the revolution. Uh, 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 Marx then sets up, sets up a news, another newspaper. The first newspaper, the, the uh, Rheinisch uh, newspaper, was closed down after a couple of years because his editorship is too radical. He forms a new one in 1848 called the, the New Rheinisch Zeitung. Uh, again, that lasts a couple of years. And uh, the last one is printed entirely in red. Uh, is a defiance to the, to, the, to the old order. But the revolution is defeated because the cowardice of the bourgeois. You know, these must be the revolutionary class, and they, 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 they were cowards, and they betrayed the working class who were prepared to fight. And you had the defeat of the revolution. Marx and Engels come to London at the end of 1849, and they used to form a newspaper, this paper, as I just talked about, to continue it in London because it was closed down. But that didn't really materialise because, uh, in effect, Marx and Engels hoped that this was the beginning of, of the German revolution, that this, a socialist revolution, a workers' revolution. In fact, he, he wrote the document in 1850, this is the, the permanent revolution. He drew really revolutionary radical conclusions from his experience. But what they were, uh, what they were suffering, what they were experiencing, it was the, it was the birth pangs of capitalism and not the death agony of capitalism. That's what they mistook. Um, their theories were right. Their ideas were right. Their perspectives were wrong on that. But they were, their ideas were absolutely right. But that's what they, 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 they didn't quite understand what was going on. Uh, and capitalism had a lot more longer to survive, a lot more, more ability to develop the productive forces than they thought. It came later. Nevertheless, uh, the Communist League, because of this reaction now, disintegrated. And Engels, who was in London, uh, didn't have any money because his father wouldn't give him any. And he decided to, uh, you know, bow the cap, go back to his father. You know, kind of a job, Dad. And uh, he said, well, 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 okay, then you get a job in Manchester. He said, all right, then I'll, I'll do the job until the British Revolution breaks out. Then I'll have to leave it. <laughs> so his father said, all right, yeah. I'll, I'll, do, I'll take that. Um, and then, uh, basically, um, Engels is, is, is forced into, into taking up a job as a manager in, uh, in, his, in his father's firm in Manchester. Uh, at this time, in the early 50s, again, if those of you were on the, uh, the, uh, the Marx walk yesterday, would have known that uh, Marx was living in, in terrible poverty at the time, absolute squalor in... Uh, in the Soho area of London, which was the real dregs of, of, of and you had cholera, you had typhoid, you had mis mis absolute misery living there. And um, he was only able to survive, and literally was surviving, on the base of Engels 
sending in money. And if you look at the correspondence in those years, it, just, it takes up politics, it takes up all international questions. Marx at this time goes to the, the British Museum to, to uh, uh, delve into the economic writings of the great classical bourgeois economists, uh, you know, uh, Ricardo, David Ricardo, and uh, Adam Smith, and uh, all the blue books he could find of government reports and everything in preparation for an economic revolution. Because yeah, that was the next stage, his discovery, Marx's discovery, of uh, surplus value, where it came from. And uh, basically, uh, everything was poured into That's the only thing he wrote, obviously, in those years. The 18th Brunner and all other uh, writings were, were churned out. And, and, and Engels explains, uh, when he goes to, to um, Manchester, uh, that... that, that Marx, despite all the difficulties, has got to write books. We can't just let, leave this to, you know, articles or whatever. It's got to be books where we can develop theory and we can hand on. We can, and that, and they, this was the challenge, really. They were developing the theoretical foundation stones of a mass movement for the future. And of course, the Communist Manifesto looked into the future far, far more than anything else. They had confidence in the working class. They had confidence in themselves and particularly in their ideas, which they were developing as they went on. Um, and Engels, uh, in these years, used to um, write regularly to, to, uh, to Marx and explain uh, business life to him as well, because they needed to know that angle in relation to economics. And he would comment, Marx would send him letters about economic questions, and, and, he, and Engels would reply, a complete dialogue all the time about these, these issues, to clarify, clarify all the questions which, which, were, uh, which were raised. And therefore we see this, this, uh, this uh, powerhouse of collaboration taking place, where a division of labour basically operates, where Marx and his family uh, are, are on the edge. I mean, sometimes they're living on what, potatoes. They can't afford the doctor, they can't afford medicine. His children, three of his children have died in this area. I mean, they are living very much hand-to-mouth. Engels reverts to, to stealing money from the, uh, the till in order to send money down to, uh, to Marx to keep him going. And literally, a £5 at that time would keep him going. A occasional £5, a 10 or whatever, 15 pounds whatever happened, he would send it. And that happened throughout the whole of his life, right up until Marx's death, that, uh, that uh, Engels' role was to make sure that he could, he could, he could support... Uh, uh, Marx as a full-time revolutionary for the movement, basically, as you're talking about. And he wanted, all he wanted to do, he didn't want to, he didn't want to go to uh, Manchester, he didn't want to waste his time in a, in a capitalist firm. This was torture for him. The only reason why he did it is to get a bit of money to sustain himself. Yes, he had a, he had a, a, a wife, Mary Burns, who was a, a factory, uh, young factory girl worker. Um, Enough money for him, his wife, to, 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 to survive and, and, and have a living, and also for Marx and his family. That's all he did it for. And everything is, is geared to this. And uh, that's, that's the kind of uh, primary division of labour that went into this. A labour of love, if you like, in one sense. You must have enormous perspectives. You must have an enormous wide vision of the world to sacrifice what you, I mean, giving up everything, really. As I said, he could have been a very, very rich capitalist in Britain 
and a very well-known personality, if you like, and give it all up in order to, to, to cement and gather and develop this, this ideological and political and personal relationship between these two uh, great men. Uh, Engels also, in the meantime, because uh, Marx was looking for all sorts of ways of making money, uh, none, of them, none of them worked out, except he did happen to have a contract from the uh, New York Tribune, which is a left kind of uh, radical paper, and he would write two articles a week, two pounds a week. But Marx couldn't write the articles because his English wasn't good enough to begin with, so Engels wrote all these articles for him right up until about uh, 1858, I think, throughout. Uh, although even then they cut the number of articles, so the whole thing was very difficult. But Engels was doing as much as he possibly could in order to survive and support, support him. This is the deal that uh, Engels had with his, with his father, that he would receive as general manager of the firm £100 per year, plus 5% of the profits. That's, up to the, that's in the first uh, uh, four years. The next four years, he would get £100 per year and 7.5% of the profits. And four years after that, he would get £100 a year and 10% of the profits. And that was the deal. Uh, but... Um, his father uh, died in 1860, and therefore he had a bit more flexibility. And uh, although he didn't become a, a, a joint partner in the firm until 1864 or 1865, and that allowed them uh, to finance the movement far, far greater than before. Um, this is one of, the, one of the comments that Karl Marx made about Engels. Uh, Throughout the agony I have suffered recently, I have been sustained by thinking of you and your friendship and by the hope that we have still a great job to do together. A kind of gratitude for Marx to, to Engels for bailing him out all the time and, and showed the, the appreciation of this, uh, this situation. Um, of course, uh, the, the, in the 1860s, you have the development uh, of the American Civil War and... Um, uh, this means that uh, the, uh, obviously, support for that came from Marx and Engels, as did the British working class support the, uh, the North against the South. And this, uh, this allows us to go up to the development of the first international. I know we, had co we commented on yesterday that this is the 150th anniversary of the founding of the first international, uh, kind of milestone in the development of, 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 of our movement, because it meant that Marx had now a further, who was, was very busy, by the way, in uh, going back and forth to the British Museum and writing Capital, put Capital aside and got involved straight into the, uh, into the First International, elected to its leadership, and took a dominant role in guiding the whole International. Engels helped him, but Engels was in Manchester at this time, and therefore couldn't directly participate in the General Council, but certainly helped as much as he can, as, as he could rather, until he came to London in 1870, and as soon as Engels moved to London, he was immediately elected to the General Council along with Marx, and they fought the battles together uh, in order to uh, fight for the interests of the working class, which was just before the Paris Commune, if you remember, of 1871, which was a big, uh, this was a worker state in reality, where the workers had come to power, but they lost power because they made a number of mistakes. And uh, the, the, the First International supported that particular revolutionary act. As a consequence, the, particularly the British trade union, the English trade union leaders who supported the international, 
then peeled away. They didn't want this. It was too, uh, too much of a hot potato to defend those kind of revolutionary movements in France when the whole of the press was against them. A witch hunt was against the, the French and so on at that, that time. And therefore, nevertheless, Martin Engels stood out for the commune and stood out for the... For, and, and all, helped the refugees when they flooded into England as well. And you talk about the, you know, the, the uh, well, the commerce is always for violence. Always, uh, well, the, the, the commune showed the violence of the bourgeoisie when it drove the, co the communards into the corner, the, 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 the French and the German ruling class, in the, in the cemetery in, in, in Paris, and, and just shot them down in cold blood. You know, and, and then built a, an epith, a, a church over the ruins, if you like, of the commune, in order to solidify their victory of the counter-revolution. And that, that also ushered in a period of, of reaction, which had created difficulties within the First International, and resulted uh, also in um, the, uh, the anarchist problem, the, the development of anarchism, and the, uh, of uh, uh, Bakunin's role in the First International, the intrigues that took place, they had to fight against all these things and maintain the principles of the working class movement itself, which they did for the future, above all again. The International was dissolved in 1876. Uh, went to New York first of all and then was dissolved, but was recreated in, in uh, 1889. It was 100 years after the victory of the French Revolution, the Second International was born, but not of small parties this time, but huge Mass parties of the working class in, in Germany, France, Italy, elsewhere, pledging their allegiance to Marxism, which showed how the, how the method of Marx was absolutely correct. And obviously, Engels played this full role in that. Now, in these years, in the 1870s, Marx's health deteriorated quite badly, uh, mainly because of the poverty he'd lived in, uh, cigarettes he probably smoked, and uh, you know, some perhaps, occasional beers and so on to, to alleviate the pain. Um, but it was the squalor of conditions that uh, he developed emphysema in particular, and uh, it, was, it was in a very poor state. It was Engels who took up the, the reins, if you like, then, and he in particular uh, uh, more, uh, more analyzed the situation, particularly on military issues in relation to the American Civil War, that's true. But then in 1877, he was de developing, uh, they had a bit of a div division of labor over, Marx was more interested in economics. Uh, history. Engels was also had a great interest in, in, in science and uh, natural sciences and he followed those very very closely and uh, of course he wrote this famous book which was never completed in his day and never published in his day The Dialectics of Nature which was really an explanation that dialectics is not an invention of the human brain Dialectical development, it takes place within nature and everything around us. And he explained using the latest inventions and discoveries of science to prove that particular point, including Darwinism, which was a revolutionary development. Darwin really unconsciously um, applied uh, a materialist view to evolution. And a dialectical view, though not quite uh, dialectical, but nevertheless a, a materialist view to, to evolution. And he wrote this marvellous book, Dialectics of Nature, which is fascinating even now when you read it. Talks about infinite, I mean, there's no end to this universe, no beginning, no end, all these things. The Big Bang was thrown out by Engels in 1877. You know, this, even from a philosophical view, it was, it was, it was incorrect. Um, 
We also wrote a pamphlet which is called uh, the, uh, the Part Played for Labour in the Transition from Eight to Man. Which again, a revolutionary pamphlet which explained how humanity developed in a dialectical way um, in, in, uh, in the course of its early development from, from in, in, in these years. Um, but then he had to take on a new uh, thing, that's why he had to put this work aside, and that was a book aimed at a particular individual in Germany. The German movement had uh, suffered defeat after the, after the 1848 revolution, uh, but nevertheless Marx and Engels had, met, had uh, and, and basically the, the workers in Germany looked to a man called to, to LaSalle, to, to Ferdinand LaSalle, who was a kind of socialist, but very confused. And there were some individuals who came over, Wilhelm Liebknecht, for instance, and uh, August Babel, these became two of the main leaders of the social democracy, the revolutionary social democracy in Germany. They came to visit, visit them early on, and they developed the movement. But of course, as the movement developed, um, first of all, there was an attempt by the ruling class to suppress it. The anti-socialist laws were brought in by, uh, 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 by Bismarck until uh, 1870. Uh, they tried to crush it in that way, but it also attra attracted not only workers, but a kind of few intellectuals who, uh, well, they weren't Marxists. They kind of, uh, they thought they had big ideas. And the one man, a professor called Durin, uh, put forward his ideas, and it was having a little bit of an effect amongst the, some layers in the, in the German party. And uh, the German leaders, Liebknecht and uh, Babel, pestered uh, Marx to write something. He said, I couldn't do it, I can't do it. And Engels, you have to do it. And you can see the correspondence between Engels and uh, Marx, like, you know, past the hot potato. None of them wanted to do this particular thing because they didn't want to read this rubbish, you know, of Durin. Anyway, Engels said, okay, I'll take it up. And he had to go through all the writings and write this magnificent book. I mean, some parts it's a bit uh, hard going because you have to read Durin. That's the problem with it, that you, but you have to read it in order to understand the answer to it. Uh, nevertheless, it's an absolutely brilliant book in, in, in putting forward the, the Marxist view on a whole series of subjects. In answer, starting with philosophy, but building up to economics, history and so on, uh, all the key aspects of Marxism are brought out in a cl crystal clear form in a debate, in a polemic with Dürer. And once it was published, it was published not as a book, it was published as a series of, of articles in the newspaper, illegal newspaper, uh, of, the, of the German social democracy. And then it was such a great thing, they published it as a book, and then they thought, look, the book's a bit thick, let's do some extracts, and they produced it as, um, well, we call it socialism, utopian, and scientific. I don't know what it is in other languages, but uh, probably roughly about the same. And this is an extract, a key extract from it, which has been a very, very useful uh, tool for younger comrades to cut their teeth on Marxism and an introduction to the real book, Anti-Durin, which is on sale, I understand, in the bookshop, which you should buy uh, afterwards. Um, so this is, this is great, great stuff. Um, Engels is affected by uh, uh, the death of his, his, his wife, uh, Mary Burns, who was a, an Irish uh, woman with very great sympathies with the Irish republicanism and introduced uh, Engels to, uh, to these ideas in Ireland. And he actually was going to write a big book on Ireland and didn't manage to complete it. There's a cer certain sections were finished and left over after his death, but the others weren't completed. Um, 
But uh, this is what he said when, when Mary Burns died. That was in 1862. I feel that with her I bury the last of my youth, says Engels. What a sad thing to say because he was very... I wouldn't say that was the case uh, insofar as uh, he had a lot of endurance. I think uh, at that stage afterwards, I think even that, he had a lot of endurance and optimism in life. Uh, he's often said... I mean, I had to, re- I had to read this, uh, this book, unfortunately, in, in doing this uh, talk. I read a few books, but this was it. Um, the Frock-Coated Communist by Tristan Hunt. And Tristan Hunt is now the uh, Labour Shadow uh, Secretary for Education, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, you can, uh, you can probably understand what this guy is all about. He's a real reformist. And I, I want to choose my words carefully, you know. And he's writing on angles, for God's sake. Well, he's a historian, bourgeois historian. Goes into the media, and then he ends up as the one of the leaders of our Labour Party at the present time. And he writes this book about angles. I started reading it. I thought, well, some of it's all right. It's historical, and of course he puts in, the, you know, the two, you know, the penny worth the poison, you know, all the way along. Then about uh, well, you know, how can he, you know? He's, all this lifestyle and, and champagne drinking and all this. And he'll care for the working class, this kind of snidey little shit, con- you know, uh, uh, kind of comments <laughs> throughout the book. And, uh, oh, but well, Stalinism, of course. Uh, Stalin used uh, anti Durin a lot, you know. Yeah, he wrote, I quoted from anti Durin. Therefore, <laughs> you know, it means purge trials and murder. I mean, this is the kind of level subtly put in and woven in stitched in there like you know for the for the for the, uh, the lesser reader who didn't know a lot about it just to poison the bit poison the well if you like about Engels uh, uh, real role in in the movement um, but of course uh, yes no, Engels did he, uh, yeah, where he lived the Regent's Park Road event that was there, a nice big house he, he was very generous he had uh, every Sunday he had all the comrades around for dinner basically and, uh, and when, he, when he had a party I mean, his 70th birthday, well, he was up until half past three in the morning. No problem with Engels. He said, I did it to show I was still alive. <laughs> so, and not only that, he said, well, we started with the, uh, was it the, the uh, Chardonnay? Well, not the Chardonnay, like, you know, some other drink, uh, some French wine anyway. Uh, starts with C, I don't remember. Uh, and then we went on to the champagne, uh, a dozen bottles of champagne. And then in the morning, we got up and had uh, 12 dozen oysters. <laughs> Jesus Christ, more new than me, mate. But nevertheless, yes, he's a very, I think, larger-than-life individual. There's no doubt about that. Um, but nevertheless, yes, he's a human figure. Uh, and what he did was, was, was enormous for our movement in relation to the, to the sacrifices in, in relation to Marx himself. Because Marx himself died in 1883, you know, the 14th of March, 1883. And Engels was all alone. And had to, uh, you know, bear the brunt of, of work after that. He did write, I don't know if I put it somewhere. I did have it here, because it's gone missing now. The speech he gave to, um, to the gravesite. Is it here? Oh, well, I'll come back to it. No, someone's pinched it. Um, but of course, he, he, in it, if I can remember, not exactly the word for word, but he heaps praise, obviously, on Marx as the man who um, invented and developed the ideas that we stand for in economics, 
in philosophy, in history. And he pays tribute to Marx in a grand way and saying if it wasn't for Marx, none of this would have happened. And it's, that's true, that's true. But if it wasn't for, for Engels, Marx wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't for Engels, Marx would have died in, or been put in the, in the workhouse in, by the middle of the 1850s. There's no doubt about it. Uh, even when he tried to get a job in 1862, Marx and, and the railways, as I said, you know, he was told he, he couldn't get a job because his handwriting was so bad, which is true. It's very, very bad. Only Engels could read it at that, uh, at that time. Uh, but uh, what I mean is he was so... He, he gave praise to Marx and didn't want to take it himself. In fact, he says, if I find it in my notes, uh, when uh, uh, he goes to a conference of, of the Second International in the 18... Uh, 1893, I think, just two years before he dies. Um, I, got, I got the quote here. Um, now, afterwards, he says, again, uh, in, after Marx's uh, death, and, and then Helen Demuth, which was the, the housekeeper, she went back to the 1840, before the 1848 revolution. So that's the last of that generation. I am truly alone, he says now. And then he goes on um, to explain in this conference he went to, you know, the, you know, this huge, there's 6,000 people there, they're all clapping, and he comes on. He gives, he gives a, a, you know, a bit of a speech and that, you know. He's very, but he said, uh, no one knows better than I that most of this homage is not due to me and my services. It is my destiny to reap the fame and honour which was sown by a greater than I, Karl Marx. And I can only promise to spend the rest of my life in the service of the proletariat so that, if possible, I may come to be worthy of that honour. Uh, when I read that, I thought, you know, I thought it's amazing. And that, that sums up Engels, thought, that sums him up to a T. Uh, that's why when he died, he never had a monument. He specifically said, I want to be cremated. And he used to love, love going down to Hollyhead, sorry, not Hollyhead, to uh, Beachyhead, down at the, on the south coast. Um, and he said, I want my ashes to be put into the sea. And that's what happened. He didn't want any monument. In fact, Marx and Engels did not want this kind of false, you know, prestige and stuff that was these bit like you go to Marx's grave, which is put there by the Stalinists, this bloody big monstrosity compared to what it was like, the simple thing that he had before, and all these great statues and all the rest, they, 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 they hated that. They hated that with a, with a, with a vengeance. That's not how you, you build a, a new society. And we're not going to be part of that kind of stuff. That was their, their motto, if you like. That was their whole approach. Of course, um, where are we on time? Okay. Um, probably in the last part is life after Marx's death. I mean, it was incredible. Marx, uh, uh, Engels rather, had, uh, he was very fluent in languages. He was learning Russian at the time. He, he could re read uh, German, Russian, Italian, French, you name it. He was very, very well disposed of in Asian foreign languages. He got newspapers coming from all over the world. And he was reading every week, apart from <coughs> editing Capital. Marx didn't complete Capital, as you know. Volume 1 came out in 1867. Uh, volume 2 and Volume 3 didn't come out until a few years before Engels died. And he put all his effort into bringing out volume two of Capital, decide bringing the notes together, putting them all, editing them, 
deciphering Karl Marx's writing was enough to get on with. Despite uh, answering all the, the, the letters from the international, what can we do, what should we do, R write this, write that, do a new preface. He was, I could tell by his correspondence, you know, he was trying to rationalise his time as much as possible and have a bit of spare time to recuperate his strength. He did that. Went, uh, went to, uh, well, uh, I think, uh, to, to Yorkshire, on the Yorkshire coast, and also on the south coast for a period of three weeks or a month, just to get his, although even then he's writing letters, left, right and centre, even when he's there. But just trying to recharge his batteries to get back into the steam of things. He's getting on at this, at this time. His age is getting on. Nevertheless, uh, he still looks quite fit. He says he's, he's good in health and so on. There's a lot of work on that one man's shoulders after, de after the death of Marx. Keeping the German leadership in, 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 on the straight and narrow as well. Because they were wobbling, not the, in, and the parliamentary fraction in particular was wobbling like hell. So he's trying to keep them on board and, and also helped uh, Eleanor Marx. Eleanor Marx was, was Marx's youngest daughter and she was trying to develop a movement in Britain. Unfortunately, you have to get that, there's a, there's a magazine here somewhere. It's on the floor. You're going to buy a copy of that. I'll give you the early history of the, of the British Labour movement. Who the author is, anyway. Uh, but uh, certainly well worth reading because it, 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 it fits in the, 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 the missing puzzle, if you like, of these, these later years before the death of Engels, where he puts a lot of energy or attempts to give advice to Eleanor Marx. She's faced by a, with a big problem by a sect in Britain called the Social Democratic Federation which is attempted to say that it is Marxist, and it isn't, and therefore is, is, is creating all sorts of problems. Uh, and then you have the emergence of the Fabian Society, the petty bourgeois radicals who are trying to infiltrate their ideas into the labour movement, and, and, and they're trying to combat these ideas. And it's fascinating, really, up to the formation of the Labour Party. I mean, the British Labour Party, and we all know that Marxism wasn't the majority opinion in the British Labour movement. It was a very, very small minority, mainly because of the failure to create this nucleus of Marxists at that time who could have taken advantage of the opportunities that were emerging. Even the British Labour Party, in my opinion, could have been one to Marxism. Eleanor Marx was on the, on the executive committee of the biggest trade union in Britain, the Gas Workers Union. The general secretary of the Gas Workers Union was a man called Will Thorne who was a member of the SDF, and actually Eleanor Marx helped him out to read and write. They could have swung that conference, as a matter of fact, if they had a bit, but they were being stabbed in the back by these other sectarians and so on, and, and the Fabians, they could have won it. Anyway, there's no point, it's a tragedy. It took the Russian Revolution to try change the British Labour Party. In other words, events, nevertheless, are, are vital. But without the, the core, without the, the Marxist core, then obviously you haven't got the, the possibility of, 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 of the fruition of real ideas in a situation. That's one of the lessons you have in relation to this, these latter years where Engels sees that he said, I wish Marx was here to see alongside me this mass conference of the Second International. He would be, he would be proud. Unfortunately, the Second International came and arose on the basis of an upswing of capitalism and therefore, you had the pressures of opportunism bore into the Second International, which ultimately led to the betrayal of the working class in 1914, as we're all aware of. But nevertheless, it's the, it's the method we have to understand. The ideas, not as they degenerated, not that they, they became corrupted in the Second International, 
We have to get the best of these ideas, as Lenin attempted to do, as Trotsky attempted to do, of, of, then, of what we're attempting to do. Because at the end of the day, we are the continuous of this man, these men, this movement of, of, our, of ours, and in the present-day conditions. In other words, it's, we, we are proud to stand on the shoulders of Frederick Engels and the work that he had done. We get sustenance from that, as with the other leaders. But we are the new generation. You are the new generation. You have to conquer these ideas for yourself. But you can get inspiration by Christ, more inspiration, you think, from what Engels did and his passion for these ideas. Now it's, it's come full circle. Capitalism has completely exhausted itself. We can see this in the development internationally. They cannot get out of this crisis. It's a, a prolonged stagnation at best. There's going to be a deeper slump coming up not so, not so long uh, in, in front of us. There's going to be huge movements of the working class, revolutionary movements. Now is the time for Marxism. Now is the time for these ideas. And therefore, I'm glad they've spoken on, on this, of, of Engels. I've never done it ever before. It just brings out to all of us what, we're, what a fine tradition we come from. What a great tradition we come from. What we have to do now is build upon that. We've got to build the IMT. That's the key thing. In Britain and internationally. And prepare the way for the world revolution. And the carrying out of the, her of the heritage of these great leaders of ours. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Marx's Voice. You can subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes, or any major podcast provider. Or visit our website at www.socialist.net. And if you're able to, please donate or subscribe online and help support us in the struggle for socialism.